Thank you. Can we give Dean and the team a hand this morning? Did a great job. This morning, I am going to be <clears throat> continuing with a theme uh, in a message series that I've entitled Taking It to the Streets. Taking It to the Streets. And this is part three in that, uh, that series this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your word coming alive within us. I thank you that your love shines out from us and brings about profound change, not only in our lives, but the lives of the people around about us. You've called us a light upon a hill, a city upon a hill, that, that light cannot be hidden. And I thank you that your people have been lit up to light up this community, our streets, our families, our homes, our workplaces, our schools and universities, our shopping district. Lord, we thank you that wherever we go, we cannot hide or restrict or contain the love that is in the light. We thank you for that today. And I pray you anoint my words, you anoint this message in the wonderful name of Jesus this morning. Amen. So this is part three in taking it to the streets. There was a gentleman called Bill Howard. He began a trip to promote a conference in San Antonio in Texas. Whilst he was waiting for his plane at the airport, he saw a man in his 20s. Uh, he stood out because this man was severely disfigured. He had been the obvious victim of a fire. And as they boarded the plane, it became apparent that it was going to be a packed flight. After all the other passengers were seated, there were only two seats left on the entire plane, and they were next to each other, and he found himself sitting next to this gentleman who had been severely disfigured as a result of the fire. He was sitting next to this guy, and as the plane taxied down the runway, he saw this disfigured neighbor of his sitting next to him was very silent. He had his arms folded across his chest, and he was staring out of the window. His hands were folded across his chest in such a way as to try to hide his mutilated hands. Bill couldn't help but notice how the features of his face had also been reconstructed. The skin on his nose only partially covered. His nostrils and his ears were almost non-existent. His hands, though, were the most startling of all for Bill. The fingers on both hands were completely gone. Sitting next to this man, Bill experienced a number of emotions. <clears throat> Thankfulness, number one, that he was in one piece. But also compassion and curiosity. Bill wondered what had happened to reshape this young man's body. He wanted to talk with him, but what, he, uh, what if this guy rejected him? He would feel like a real jerk for intruding in this guy's life. But he felt a familiar nudge from the Lord to at least to try. So he summoned up a little bit of courage in that moment and he began the conversation. The young man said his name was Johnny and that he'd just been to this town or the city to visit his girlfriend. When Bill apologetically asked if he would mind sharing his tragedy, Johnny replied quickly, I don't mind at all. I'd much rather that you, have, that you talk with me than stare at me. And then he told his story. Johnny and his father were taking a rest stop at a petrol station, and while they were waiting outside, a car pulled in front 
of a petrol tanker trying to avoid this collision. The truck with a full load of fuel jackknifed, it rolled and burst into flame, covering approximately 70 people with burning fuel. Johnny and his father were immediately covered and were ignited by the fuel. When Bill asked about Johnny's hands, he was in awe of Johnny's reply. Johnny said when, whilst he was engulfed with flames that he saw an old man pinned, under, pinned to the ground by a steel rod across his chest. Johnny walked over to the man, lifted the rod off of his chest, literally burning Johnny's hands off. Bill now had a genuine love and respect for this courageous man. He went on to tell Bill that he spent over three years in hospital. And upon getting out, he spent another four years in seclusion due to the scars from his burns. A girl he met during that time unconditionally loved him back into society. And since that time, he went on to explain that he'd had over 130 operations, not uh, most of them to keep him alive. And just that upcoming summer, Johnny was to receive a pair of artificial hands. <clears throat> As he finished telling Bill his story, Bill couldn't help but wonder if Johnny had ever considered God during his trauma. So when Bill asked, he said, Johnny said, uh, have you ever, ne sorry, when Bill asked, he said he had, but had never heard of having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he wanted to know the God who had spared his life. Bill shared the message of the gospel with Johnny. And as the plane landed, Johnny prayed with Bill, placing his faith in Christ as his Lord and Saviour. This morning I'm talking about taking it to the streets. This is part three of this series that we've been doing. You might be asking, uh, what, what do you mean by taking it to the streets? What, what's that about? What I'm talking about is that we take the message of God's love, His grace and His forgiveness to the streets. We are taking the church to the streets. This morning, as a part of my introduction to uh, the segue in, into the announcements this morning, you heard me say, welcome church to the building. The building is not the church, the people are the church, and we are taking the church to the community, and that's what I'm trying to shift our understanding and mentality around, that we are not inviting people to the church, we are taking the church to the people. That's what we're doing. We are taking the kingdom of God to the streets of our community, the place where we live, the place where we work, the place where we play. Um, so, however, the, the way that I, I want us to do this in, in, in understanding this, in taking this to the streets is that this morning I want to spend a little bit of time in, in, in understanding how we need to pray as we take this to the streets. Because it's a little bit different than I think that you might be expecting for this to happen. Because I want to do this in a specific way as we take the message of God's love, His grace and His forgiveness to our streets. And that's what I want to do this morning. So I'm going to talk about three simple yet powerful prayers that I believe that we need to be praying as we take this to the streets. So those three simple yet powerful prayers are this. Number one, Lord, give me your love for these people and this community. 
The second prayer I want us to pray is, Lord, do in me what I'm asking you to do in these people and in this community. And the third prayer is this, Lord, give me an opportunity to speak up or to reach out to those that I meet today. That's the three simple prayers, but powerful prayers that I believe that the Holy Spirit has impressed upon my heart to share with you about how we take the message of God's love to our community in this next few years ahead. Did you catch that? Next few years ahead. The next, this is not an event, this is a lifestyle that I'm asking us to pray. I'm asking God to change us in such a way that he starts with us and then we move out into the community as the opportunities arise. So the first prayer I want to talk about this morning is, Lord, give me your love for these people and this community. And you might be asking, why am I asking us to pray this way? 1 John 4.19 says this, We love because he first loved us. I want us to say that together. He, we love because he first loved us. Make it personal. I love because he first loved me. I love because he first loved me. This whole journey of faith began with the Father. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus for us. We may sometimes think that we love God first. You know, well, God, I came to you. You know, that's how it is. I came to church and I got introduced to you, and, 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 but I loved you first. Well, that's not exactly right. Because my Bible tells me that he loved me first And as a result of experiencing his love, I've come into an understanding of what love really is. And that gives me the ability to love the God love to my community. We may sometimes think that. It's God who loved us first. His love gave birth to our love. It's only as we experience, read about, feel or are embraced by God's love that we have the ability or even the capacity to truly love others. When we come to understand the extent of those things, having uh, uh, and expressing God's love is crucial to this prayer initiative and taking this to the streets. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, we hear about this great love chapter that's quite often spoken of uh, at weddings. It's, it's, a, it's a hugely popular piece of scripture where you have the, the love is, you know, it's everything. There's all this stuff. But we often overlook the first three verses of this particular chapter because we think, well, you know, it's just a bit of fluff that that fills out the chapter and, you know, it's just really not applicable to me because, you know, that sort of stuff. I just want to get to the love is kind, love is patient, love is... That's what we like to hear. The first three verses are crucial as well. Have a listen to this. Verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, the noise that we make that comes out of our lips means nothing and it cuts across anything that we ever try to do or to establish in a person's life because it's devoid of love. There's no connection, there's no symphony that comes from our words. It doesn't matter what we say if love's not there. It doesn't matter the correction that we try to bring if love's not there. 
It doesn't matter what truth we bring, truth and love, the Bible says. It doesn't matter what truth we bring if there's no love there. Verse 2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy, that I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, then I'm nothing. In other words, it doesn't matter what I believe or I know if love's not there. It doesn't matter. Verse 3 says, if I give all that I possess to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, what it's saying is, it doesn't matter what we do or what we give if love's not there. It's empty. It's devoid. It has no, no connection. It has no ability to touch a person's heart if there's not love that's a part of that gift or that, the thing that we're doing in that moment. God's love is essential to all that we do as believers and as the church in our community. God's love is essential to the communication that we bring with others. Love, God's love is essential to any act of kindness or a gift or a help that we might provide for other people. God's love is essential if our message is to strike a chord in another person's heart. God's love breaks through barriers. My love won't, but God's love will. Because when I'm empowered by the love of God, when I have that love, I've experienced that love that I can share with others, there comes a flow from heaven, comes through my life and into the life of someone else, and it breaks open prison doors. It breaks barriers. It creates breakthrough. It cuts through the hardness of any person's heart. It's love. That's why we start our services with praise and worship. It's the heart of love that releases what we're saying to God the Father. We come and we worship Him because we love Him. More importantly, we come here because He loves us. And it's another place of connection. that We can see a breakthrough happen as we do those sorts of things. Proverbs 25 verses 21 to 22 says this, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, this is we're talking about our enemy. This is the person that hates us. This is the person that's betrayed us. This is the person that stabbed us in the back. This is the person that walked away from us. This is the person that gossips about us at, at work or in, in and around our, that, that other church. This is the person that we don't get on well with. This is our neighbor that, that has that yapping dog that you want to throw a bait over the fence for. But that would be another person. That wouldn't be you because I know that you're all like switched on savvy Christians and you love people. You love that dog. You pray for it regularly. This is talking about an enemy. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Because in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, on face value, you're thinking, man, my enemy, I'd love to heap burning coals on his head. I would love to do that. I, in fact, I'd get a great sense of satisfaction and joy in doing it, especially that dog. What's it saying? What's this scripture mean to us? What's it saying to us? See, what this verse is about is an emotional discomfort that a person will feel when we awaken their conscience towards their con about their conduct towards us. The word coal is often used as a metaphorical 
type of thing. So in this particular thing, what it's saying here is, is that the kindness that we give toward our enemy is called heaping coals of fire upon their head. And as it tends to awaken a person's calloused conscience and to help them to realize their wrong. It's the picture of putting coals on a person's head that initially sounds like that we're, it's a picture of causing burning pain, but it's really not. It's a picture of stirring within someone a response of remorse, of repentance, or of sorrow when they see our kindness in the face of their meanness, and in doing so, we overcome evil with good. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's saying that it doesn't matter what they've done, my response to that is going to determine whether they are going to find a place of connection where they suddenly realize the condition of their heart and it causes them to say, hang on a minute, I think I'm better than this. That we're, we're calling that, that greatness out of them by doing something good to them. It's the goodness and kindness of God that leads a person to Repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance. And likewise, it can be our goodness, our kindness, that leads to them coming to a position where they say, man, my heart, I didn't realize I did that. And we see a change in behavior because we've done something that they didn't deserve. They didn't deserve the kindness that you gave them for what they did to you but you did it anyway because you've been affected by the love of God and it's the love of God that's shining through your life that's now caused them to see, mate, I need to change what I'm doing. I need to change the way I'm living. I need to change the attitude of my life. What does that mean for us? Perhaps it's encouraging us to love our enemies by doing the opposite of what they'd expect. Rather than us getting upset, getting on our soapbox and start to preach to them about, you know what, it says about you need to repent, you need to get right with God, you need to just, just like stop doing what you're doing and, and we start to preach at them. Maybe if we just loved them, maybe if we bought them a meal, maybe if we, we got them a drink of water, maybe whatever it is that, that it's the opposite of what you feel you want to do with your, in, in the flesh, but you're going to live by the Spirit. You're going to live by the Spirit of God and you're going to step out and you say, God, I'm going to release your love into this circumstance and this situation. It's those times that we find that we've been affected by this. This is what the Father did for me. This is what the Father did for you. In, in 1 John 4 verse 10 it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and... He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for my sin. That's what the Father did. He loved us. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us what we didn't deserve by sending His Son Jesus to pay the penalty of my sin. Because of my sin, I deserved to die. I needed to be held account for my sin. But the love of God paid the penalty for my sin. So we can love because He first loved us. We've been exposed to the extravagant love of God. That's what's happened. So this means that, that something to, uh, will happen to a person who's hurt us, betrayed us or wounded us. It, it's this whole thing where it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Good that's underpinned by the love of God overcomes evil. It overcomes it. Lord, give me first a love for these people. Give me your love for these people and for this community. This is our first prayer as we take this to the streets. This is the first prayer. As we walk past our neighbor's home, Lord, give me your love for these people that live in this house. As I walk down my street, maybe it's with you as a family, you start to do this, or maybe as a connect group, get your connect group out into the streets. You identify an area that you want to pray through. And you say, God, would you give me your love for the people that I'm, I'm living in and amongst. As you walk down your street, Lord, give me a love. Don't start to talk to them, uh, praying for them just yet, that they'd experience the love of God. Lord, give me your love for these people. I want them to experience your love for these people. Give me the love of God for these people. Because it's as we love them and start to pray for God's love to fill our heart for them that we are more likely to do what we need to do in the moment. We wouldn't know what real love was until we'd experienced the Father's love for ourselves. Likewise, these people in our streets, our communities, our workplaces and shops won't know what real love is until they experience God's love through us. We've got to be walking and acting and living and breathing and talking and communicating with God's love in us before we start to talk to other people around about us. Every time I wave at people driving past the church each Sunday morning, I'm praying internally, Lord, give me your love for that person. As I see a family go past the church in that car, Lord, help me to love that family like you love that family. Help me to see them as you see them. Help them to connect with us as a church because they experience your love through me because I want them to know you. See, we love because he first loved us. I didn't know love was forgiving, that it was merciful or gracious or sacrificial until I experienced Christ's love for me in that way. I didn't realize, I didn't know that love was persistent, that it's generous and kind until I experienced the Father's love in those ways. See, this is the first and the most important prayer that we can pray. Lord, give me your love for these people and for this community. See, God's love will do what God's love needs to do when it's time to speak up and to reach out. Because quite often we might say, you know what, Lord? I don't have it in me to love these people. But I tell you what God does. You might say, I, I can't love these people. No, you, you may not be able to, but God can. That's why we need to say, God, I need you to, your love for these people. Because if we have his love for us, for, for him, for these people, then it doesn't matter if we don't have it because we know he does. And it's as we step out in faith, allowing that love that God the Father has to flow through us, then we will see that love released to the people in and around about us. Because it doesn't matter if you haven't got it. He has. God's love, it's available to people in and around about. Here's a great truth. Even if we miss it, or we blow it, or we fumble our lines when we're talking to people. 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, in the message version, it says, most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up 
for practically anything. In the NIV, it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. That's why I need God's love. That's why I need to experience His love for these people because when I see that God's love covers my sin, I can see that God can cover their sin. And it doesn't matter what they've done to a certain degree because it's God's love that covers them. That's why we need the the shed blood of Jesus to wash away our sins because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, Give me your love for the people I live next door to and for my community. The second simple yet powerful prayer is this. Lord, do in me what I'm asking you to do in these people and in my community. Lord, do in me what I'm asking you to do in these people and in my community. See, here's, here's, here's here's the thing. Our confidence to speak up and reach out will come from having already experienced the Father's love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. If we've already experienced that for ourselves, if we've already walked in that, then we have a greater level of confidence to believe that we can actually see happen in others what God's already done in us. We've already walked this journey. We know what this, this street looks like. We know what this pathway looks like. We know what this journey that we're going on looks like because we've experienced it ourselves. We're not saying God would just change that person without Him saying, but I want to change you. I want to bring change in you so that you can bring change to that person. There comes a level of authenticity to our lives, our words and our actions as we have already experienced the Father's love. How can we speak about the Father's love if we've not experienced it ourselves? How can we speak of the Father's grace if we've not walked or understood or experienced that grace for ourselves? How can we speak of the Father's forgiveness if we've not experienced that forgiveness for ourselves? Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29 says, When Jesus had finished these, saying these things to these people, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, his authority came from his authenticity. It was who he was. He was talking about who he was. Okay? He didn't teach a message. He was the message. Jesus was the message. And that's why our second prayer is so important because we also become the message of Christ to the people that we're talking about as we take it to the streets. Because there's a part of me that thinks it's hypocritical almost of us to pray that others experience the Father's love, grace and forgiveness if we've not pursued or been prepared to pursue that for ourselves. I think that there's a a level of hypocrisy in that. See, our, our message would lack authenticity. I want you to really catch this, what I'm going to say now, okay? So just have your catcher's mitts up. You ready? Maybe your butterfly net. Just whatever you need to catch this. It's not a life-changing message until it's changed a life. And the first person's life it needs to change is ours. It's not a life-changing 
life-changing message until it's changed a life. And the first person's life it needs to change is mine. As we commit to walking, maybe at the summit in the next few weeks, head up to the summit. This is the second prayer that we need to be praying. First, Lord, as we look out over the, the, the entire region around about, because up at the summit you can see 360 degrees. So no matter where you live, you're going to see the region or the town where you live. And you can pray with authenticity, Lord, give me a love for these people. Give me your love for them. And then secondly, Lord, what I want to see you do in these people and in this community, Lord, do in me first. That's the second prayer that I want us to pray. It's a simple yet it's a powerful prayer. And that leads us into the third prayer that I want us to pray. The third prayer I want us to pray is, Lord, give me an opportunity to speak up or reach out to those that I meet today. Lord, give me an opportunity to speak up or reach out to those that I meet today. And church, this prayer is where we have needed to have made a decision already. The decision to step out with 20 seconds of outrageous, insane, gobsmackingly outstanding courage in that moment. To make a decision to be courageous in the moment. When we pray this, we needed to have made the decision that, Lord, when that opportunity comes to speak up or to reach out, I've already made the decision. I'm going to do it. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to reach out right then, right there in that moment. Because the reality is this. That if I have not made that decision to speak up or to reach out in that time, that I'm going to spend time having this conversation with myself. Should I say something right now? I don't know. Should I actually do something in this, in this instance? I'm, I'm not sure. Should I, I help this person right now? I'm just, I'm just Lord, what, what do you want me to do? He's saying, you should have made that decision when Pastor Gary's preached this message like weeks ago. Like, were you not listening to that message? Like, were you in the same room with that? I mean, did you see his social media posts? Did you see the book, He Bought a Zoo, or the, the film, He Bought a Zoo? I mean, like, have you not made that? We need to have made this decision. Because if we are praying for an opportunity, if we're praying for an opportunity, we're praying for an open door, if we are praying for a divine appointment in that moment, why are we praying that if we've not made the decision to take the opportunity when it arises? It's a wasted prayer. It's a waste of space. It's like faulty towers, says to Manuel, gets a spoon, flicks him right on the forehead, and says, you're a waste of space. Well, it's a wasted prayer. If we don't take the opportunity by having said, you know what, God? When that, that opportunity arises, I'm going to step out in courage. I'm not going to worry about what I look like, what I sound like. I'm going to trust you in the moment that you created a divine appointment for me to step into that moment and to say something or to do something. Because, Lord, I believe that there's a heavenly nudge that comes that says this is your moment. This is your opportunity. This is your open door. 
this is a divine appointment that I had on your calendar from the before the beginning of time. I saw this person. I know your journey of faith. And I have married them together at a point in time where the two intersect. And it's now down to you. That's a heavy rap. But if we've made the decision to step out in courage, it's not an impossible one. It's one that God has said, I saw you. You've got this. There's my word in your heart. There's my spirit that's backing you with his presence in your life right now. You are going to see things. You're going to hear things from the heavenly realm. That you're going to talk to this person. You're just simply going to start it with a saying, Hi. Just got you on my heart right now. Just wanted to share some stuff with you. It's because we're praying, Lord, give me an opportunity to speak up and to reach out with that person that I meet today. This morning, I just want to ask, is there anyone here who has, in the last couple of weeks, taken an outrageous step of courage in the moment to share? And here's two people that I had prepared earlier, just in case no hands went up. I'd like to ask Paul and Ryan to come up and we're going to share just their stories really briefly. Thanks. This is Paul. Let's welcome Paul. Good morning, everyone. Um, So two weeks ago when we kicked off this series, right at the end, Pastor Gary was making the the call, um, if I recall correctly, Make a decision now in advance so that when the situation arises, you don't have to think, well, am I going to follow through? And usually when a, when a pastor makes a call, I, yep, I'll do that. I want more of God. I want uh, more this, more that. But this is, this is the one I thought, I don't want to be a phony here. I'm not ready to make that decision in advance. Um, fear of man has been a big problem all my life. Um, so anyway, I came away out of this, the message pretty... Um, yeah, feeling, I know I'm not quite right. I've got to, God wants me, I know, would want me to get to that position where I'm prepared to do that in advance. So anyway, um, this week on Tuesday at the lunch table at work, uh, there was two of us, well, three of us sitting there, um, and one guy goes to me, oh, so Paul, what do you like to do in your spare time? I thought, oh, okay, here we go. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, here's an opportunity. What do I do? So I sort of fumbled around for about 20 seconds saying what we do on weekends. And then I said, uh, and then Sunday mornings, you know, we're committed to church. We go to a church. And then he just asked me just a couple sort of simple questions and and didn't go any further than that. But the key thing was I did it. (laughs) Uh, It would have been nice to know in advance in my heart that, yep, I will take that opportunity. Because I know there's been times in the past where I've, more times than not, that I haven't followed through on that opportunity. But I was afraid when I did it, but I still did it anyway. Um, And it worked out fine. It's not as if no one attacked me or anything like that. Um, He wasn't surprised or anything. So it just goes to show, you can do it. You might still be afraid, but you just do it. And you feel so much, not not that it's about our feelings, but you just feel so good inside just for, for knowing you've done it. Yeah, so well I encourage done. you all just to work through any fears you have. Just do it. Yeah, well done, Paul. Let's give Paul a hand. 
So uh, I work uh, for a very secular radio station here in Adelaide, uh, and uh, something very, very serious happened. I'm not at liberty to share what exactly happened, but something very serious ha happened on channel. And um, I was led, pushed, nudged uh, by the Holy Spirit to go and speak to my boss who was really feeling she was under the, uh, under the pump for what had happened and she had to take responsibility. Uh, because, first of all, I myself had been through the same situation back when I was uh, running a radio station in Sri Lanka. And um, I had that experience to share with her. And I, I'm known as a person of faith at work, but not really, I've not had the opportunity to speak to the head of the company here as in, the, in, in, in that situation you know, to share my faith with, with her. And I, I um, the Holy Spirit led me to go and man up and speak to her and encourage her and also say that, you know, I've been through the same situation and just to keep your faith and stay strong. And, well, yes, that's what happened. Thank you. That's great, Ryan. Well done. It's good. Thank you. I was in the city the other day at the pub, um, central market and I went into the public toilet and I could hear someone in the other cubicle coughing their head off and the thought came to me, you should pray for that person's cough. And that happens from time to time and a lot of the time it just doesn't go anywhere and I've missed plenty of opportunities but I keep just saying, Lord, sorry, missed that one. Give me another chance because I'm learning on this. I'm doing an apprenticeship. I'm not going to get it right every time but I step out of the cubicle and um, the person who's been coughing is on the other side of the basin row and clearly it's this person. Not only that, the cleaner has come in. She's put the closed for cleaning thing there. There's nobody else in the room now. No one can come in. I think that's a bit of a God set up if there ever was one. <laughs> so I just walked over to this lady and I said, oh, that's a nasty cough. I'm, can I pray for you? And I don't know if she heard me properly because she sort of just smiled back at me. So I said it again. I'm a Christian, that's a really nasty cough, can I pray for you? And then I realised she had a crate and stuff and a trolley and she was probably homeless and she looked like she'd had a really rough life so I just put my hand on her shoulder and I just prayed for her. Good and on. she just looked up in my face and just her face just beamed and she smiled at me and I didn't get, I felt like, Lord, what else do you want me to do? Like she's homeless, I should do more. But I did that, I stepped out um, and someone was waiting for me outside so I didn't feel like I could stay too long but... I just kept praying for her now. I don't know if I ever see her again, but thank you, Jesus. Yeah, it's good, Vicky. Heidi. I'm actually trying to step out for quite a number of several months, and I actually want to add another um, prayer. I keep on praying, Lord, send, me the, send the people to me. And I have had so many occasions that, uh, especially at work, people come to me and they pour out their heart to me. And I had people saying, I have no idea why I tell you that, but then I, it just opens the door for me to share how I deal with problems and how God has helped me. And um, it's, it's a very, very rewarding situation every time. Thank Excellent. you. Well done. It's good, isn't it? It's really good. See, 20 seconds of courage comes more and more when God knows that we're actually going to step through the door. 
and take the opportunity as it arises or walk into that divine appointment. So that's why you'll see in, in the, the Bible, like in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, where Peter and John had a divine appointment with a person that's begging, the, cripple, the lame person, by the temple as they walk in. It was a divine appointment. And they were able to minister in that moment. You see in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, where Philip led an Ethiopian eunuch to Christ because he simply walked past this guy's chariot or whatever it was and heard the Ethiopian citing scripture out of Isaiah. And Philip says, I can actually help you with that if you want to understand what that means. Led him to Christ, baptizes him in water, and this man then chooks off and then Philip plays like Star Trek and gets transported somewhere else. You see in 2 Kings chapter 4 where Elisha meets a Shunammite woman and she has a miracle of overflowing provision of oil. It was a divine appointment. You see in John chapter 8 in verses 1 to 11 where Jesus has a divine appointment with a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery and it speaks powerfully to an entire town and the, the, the legend of that continues to be spread today. See, these are opportunities. They're divine appointments that come our way because we pray and have the faith to believe that God will give us that opportunity to speak up and to reach out with the people that we meet that day because we made a decision that I'm going to step into 20 seconds of outrageous courage and take the opportunity. What's the point of not doing that? What, what's it going to take for, for us to move on this? What, what's it going to take for us to speak out? What's it going to take for us to, to step out in faith, to believe, to see this community in which we live in and we love and, and, and we, we enjoy it? What's it going to take for us to reach this community with the love the grace and the forgiveness of God. 1 John 4 verses 18 to 19 says, There's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. That's why it's got to start with the love of God. Because if I have his love in my heart for these people, what they can say to me or do to me, if I do speak up, if they abuse me, thinking, oh, you're a Bible thumper. Seriously, if that's the worst they can say to me? Really, I mean, is that all that bad? I'm, I'm an ex-cop. I've had some stuff said, okay? I, I, I know what it's like to, to be on the other end of some verbal abuse. I could give classes in it, okay? But that's not the point. What the point is, we need to just do it. It does, Overcome that fear. Overcome that, that, uh, that thing that's going to stop us. Because... I love what Jackie said last week. It's like when you're getting ready and you're prepared to say something to them, in, in your mind you hear, that. well, you, they don't want to hear this. There's nothing you've got to say. That, that That's the enemy. That's the enemy trying to stop you from saying something. Are, are you, and here's the, here's the challenge. Are we going to partner with God? Or are we going to partner with the enemy? Sila, Pause. Think, ponder. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill 
cannot be hidden. You will either see this thing or you'll hear the city if you can't see it. You'll hear the tumultuous impact of a city that's alive. It says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your heavenly Father. See, it's my conviction that we've been lit up to light up. We have been lit up to light up. Today isn't the culmination of a series. It's not the end of a preaching series. It's the start of a lifestyle. It's the start of what God wants to do in us taking this to the streets. Because here's the deal. I've I've thought about this for a long time. I've I've had this message on my, my heart for months. We are about to come into Christmas. We are starting to see the decorations going up. We're hearing about the Christmas carols that are happening next Saturday. We are entering into a season where people are open more than ever to hearing about Jesus. If there's ever a season other than Easter where the the, the ground has been prepared and it's got good soil waiting for the seeds that are in our lives to be planted in their hearts and lives, this is the season. This is the season. One of the things that you might like to consider as you're talking to people in and around about you is, hey, you know what? We have an incredible Christmas Eve service. Just in case you're not sure of the date, it's the 24th of December. We have this great uh, Christmas Eve service planned. There's a free barbecue sausage sizzle that's happening at 6 p.m. Then we're going to have some great stuff. There's multimedia, there's song, there's dancing. There's all sorts of great stuff happening, and it's a great opportunity. We'd love for you to be our guests. In fact, I'll save a seat with your name on it. It's so, it's not hard to do that, to invite them. We've even got cards you could give to your neighbors and plant in their letterbox. Better still, invite them over for a coffee and a cake and say, just want to get to know you. We've been in this street for about 30 years, don't know who you are, but you know what? We're just going to get to know you and just invite you around for a cuppa and get to know them. Just get to to say hello to them. As a church, we're doing what we can. And as we launch this initiative of taking it to the streets, we need to be praying three simple yet powerful prayers. Lord, give me your love for these people and this community. Lord, do in me what I ask you to do in these people and this community. And thirdly, Lord, give me an opportunity to speak up or to reach out to those that I meet today because, Lord, I've made a decision. I've made a decision. I have decided to follow Jesus, I have this. You, you can see, I can't.
califado. You loved us so much that you did and said what was necessary in the moment. And I pray that we as a church, your church, not this building, but you, we, as your people, carrying your heart of love, asking you to continue to pour out your love for the people that we live with and around, that as we ask you, Lord, to do in us first of all what we're going to ask you to do in them. Lord, that we're going to ask you for an opportunity because we made a decision to follow you. Answer those prayers, Lord. Lord, here am I. Just answer my prayers. Lord, that we would see this community transformed and changed for the glory of God, that people would see our good works and that they would praise you, our heavenly Father. We don't seek any of the glory or the praise for ourselves. We seek to point only to you because you are the author and the perfecter of our faith and we want people to understand who you are and what you've done for those people. We ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, give us your love for the people around about us. Lord, do in us first of all what we're asking you to do in the people around about us. And Lord, would you give us an opportunity In the name of Jesus, I thank you for those who've already stepped across the line. They've acted with courage in the moment. Even though there was the fear of man within them, they stepped out anyway. I thank you, Lord, right now for a revolution, a lifestyle of following you in all that you lead us to do and to say in and around about us. I commission these people here today in the name of Jesus. I commission them. I commission them. I commission them. I commission them. Let the anointing of your Holy Spirit fall afresh upon us this morning with a fresh love for you, with a fresh understanding, with a fresh call and a commission and an anointing that breaks the yoke in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said... Amen.